So as Christians, we worship the Father, Son, and Spirit. We call God Yahweh. That's the name revealed in the Old Testament. He's the creator. But we realize not everyone does, right? We have neighbors and co-workers and friends. We know people who worship other gods. Um, about 31% of the world follows some branch of Christianity. I think we have a world map up here. Um, Christianity. About Christianity is the dominant religion in the world. About 31% follows some branch of Christianity. About 25% of the world follows Islam. 15% of people aren't religious at all. 15% of the world are roughly Hindu. 6% of the world roughly follow Buddha or Buddhism. About 5% follow some type of folk religion. Um, and about 2% of the world follows Judaism. Think about this for a minute. 85% of the world practices some form of religion. 85% of the people in the world believe there's some higher power, some God. There's something more than just this world. So what do we do with this reality? How should we behave in regards to the other faiths? Sadly, for much of church history, the response about how the church has responded to other faiths has been, by force, force them to worship Jesus. For the first few hundred years of the church, the followers of Jesus practiced nonviolence. They took the Sermon on the Mount literally, and they said, Jesus taught us to turn the other cheek and love our enemies. We're not going to fight them. But around 300 years uh, after Jesus, the church joined with Rome. Emperor Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And he began to use Rome's preferred method of expansion for the church. And Rome's preferred method of expansion was aggressive force. Perhaps most infamous was the Crusades, spanning most of the Middle Ages from around 1050 to 1300. A series of military expeditions was launched from Christian Europe against the people of the Near East and the Middle East. Um, and though Christians were living peaceably with Muslims in the Holy Land, these European Christians came down and began slaughtering people and taking land. I don't know why I just chuckled there because there was nothing funny about it. Sometimes when I'm nervous or I, I'm saying something that makes me nervous, I chuckle. Um, nothing funny about the Crusades. Um, many Muslims... Because they were identified as enemies of Christ who needed to be booted, booted out of places like Jerusalem and other Christian holy places. Uh, it led to this real sense of contention between the Middle East and Europe that we still feel today. There was this zeal to rid the Holy Land of infidels, meaning Muslims primarily, but literally anyone who wasn't Christian, and somehow conquer that land for God. Um, to many of the people who were living there... They were highly civilized and peaceful states, and the crusaders were marauders who left behind in their wake little more than bloodshed, turmoil, ashes, and well-earned hatred. This is not the way I think we should respond to other faiths, by the way. And this wasn't the last time Christians killed or threatened people of different faiths. Charlemagne once said, I defeat my enemies, then I have a priest sprinkle some water over them, say some words in Latin, and they become Christians. That's how I convert people. That's probably not the best way to do it. European settlers in the New World gave primitive people an ultimatum, become Christian or die. Um, the conversion of Latin America is unimaginable without the sword. Most of Latin America was forced to be Christian by the threat of death. Cortez had Montezuma forcibly baptized. He didn't want to be baptized. He forced him to. Then he murdered him and took all his gold. Um, not a great history of interacting with other faiths. 
Columbus forced the natives wherever he landed to convert to Christianity and begin practicing this new religion against their desires with the threat of death. In 1543, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther, love Martin Luther in some places, you don't love what he says here, Martin Luther wrote a book called On the Jews and Their Lies. This is what it said. Uh, well, it appears that earlier in his life he wanted to reach European Jews and convert them to Christianity. But after seeing little progress, he denounced them as a people and encouraged their persecution. This is what's in this book that Martin Luther wrote. You can find a copy online. Here's what he says. He argues that Jewish synagogues and schools should be set on fire, their prayer books destroyed, their rabbis forbidden to preach, their homes burned, their property and money confiscated. Luther demanded that no mercy or kindness be given to them, that they would be given no legal protection, and he called them poisonous and venom worms that should be drafted into forced labor or expelled from the country. He advocates even for their murder, writing, if you kill them, we are at no fault. Now, it's a little surprised that this book was a favorite of Adolf Hitler. Nazis often referenced it as a spiritual permission to commit genocide on the Jewish people. Um, as non-Catholics, as Protestants or evangelicals, we tend to celebrate reformers like John Calvin and Martin Luther, but Luther hated Jewish people. John Calvin burned fellow Christians at the stake for the audacity of baptizing people after a confession of faith. Instead of as infants as he preferred, he burned Anabaptists, people who would probably align pretty close to my own theology. John Calvin had them burned at the stake. So when we look at church history, we have to realize the Christian church has not always responded to other faiths or even differences within our own faith very well. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's what Jesus wanted, but we have to be honest about the fact that for much of the Christian church's history, violence has been our preferred method of dealing with disagreements both within the faith and our preferred method for interacting with different faiths. So that's one Christian response to different faiths. That's not the one I'm going to advocate today. I don't think that's the right one. I think it's the wrong one. It has a long history in Christianity, and I don't think it is the right response. I don't think it is the response Jesus wants us to have to people of other faiths. Now, here's another potential Christian response to other faiths. While I was never taught to physically fight other faiths, I was taught to see any interaction with them as an opportunity to tell them how wrong they were and how right I was. Even other branches of Christianity, I was trained to see them as people in error who need to conform to my vision of faith. This taught me to see people of other faiths and even other branches of Christianity not as people but as, as ideas to fight, dismantle, and defeat. I was taught that these people were deceived by Satan and were deceiving others to follow them down a path of destruction. I didn't see other people as my neighbors to be loved. They were my enemies to be defeated with clever logic and reason. Churches I grew up in used war language to talk about the other faiths. And while they didn't advocate violence, they encouraged a sense of battle, a combativeness between us with the words of God battling against the treacherous other faith leading people astray. When I met someone of a different faith, I was taught that my goal was to interact with them only as long as I could tell them about the truth of Jesus, dismantle their beliefs as quickly as possible, and move on. I saw them at best as projects, not people, and I think this is yet another response to other faiths that I don't think that Jesus wanted. So what should our response to other faiths be? 
I mean, right now, my next door neighbor, I literally share a wall with her, we live in a twin, is a Muslim. Um, I have a coworker who's Jewish. We've shared meals with Buddhists, Hindus, and Wiccans. How should we interact with them? Uh, one of my friends who's a Muslim, um, he reached out to me this week. He didn't know I was preaching on this. He's like, hey, you wanna go see a movie? We wanna saw a movie together. Lovely guy, great interaction. What, how should I, as a Christian, how should I be reflecting on these people? How should I be talking to them? How should I have a relationship with them? Well, let's talk about it. Acts chapter 17, we're going to read verses 16 through 31. I think the Apostle Paul is helpful here. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Jesus was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him into a meeting of the Areopagus, uh, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. These are my people right here. I would love it in Athens. They just talk about new ideas all the time. Um, yeah, that would, be, that would be ideal. Darby would hate it. I would love it there. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Ergopus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. You are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else that they have. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is never far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Man, I could spend weeks and weeks in this passage. It's so good. But I just want to pull out a couple things that I think are important as we talk to people of other faith. Paul does something really interesting here. And I think looking at the verbs this passage uses is helpful. First off, you notice that Paul was distressed when he got to the city because he saw all the idols. If other faiths are idols... They promise things that they cannot deliver, and that should distress us. If what people are spending their life on won't actually satisfy them, won't actually fulfill them, won't actually make them into people of love, it should distress us. This isn't about being right. It's about helping people find what they really want. If Jesus really works, we talk about him because we want people to find what really works. Idols work, and then they don't. They keep demanding more and more and delivering less and less. 
Next, notice that Paul reasoned with people ready to hear about Jesus. Now, he takes two different approaches here. The first group of people he talks to are Jews and God-fearing Greeks. These are people who are already practicing Judaism. They're ready to hear about Jesus. Not everyone you encounter is ready to hear about Jesus. These were people who were expecting the Messiah, were primed to hear about him. Paul didn't have to explain who God was. He didn't have to explain about Israel's role. He didn't have to explain about any of this. They were ready to go. Not everybody you talk to is ready to hear that. Paul had a different approach to the people who were Jewish and God-fearing Greeks than he did to the people who were philosophers and pagans um, who pulled him into this next meeting. He reasoned with the Jews and Greeks, proselytes of Judaism, because they were already primed and ready for a Messiah. They were ready to hear about Jesus. Their faith had laid the groundwork to be reasoned with. But he didn't do the same thing with the polytheistic Greeks. Paul preached the good news of Jesus and his resurrection. That's the next verb, he preached. He explained what he believed and explained why Jesus and the resurrection was good news for everyone. Timothy Keller, a pastor in New York City, used to say, you must first make people want Jesus and the resurrection to be true. You want them to think, wouldn't that be nice if it were true? Because no one will ever believe something until they wish it were true. The gospel is the good news that in Jesus, sin and death are swallowed up forever. That in the reign of King Jesus, everything sad will come true. That his role and reign will be so good that they will work backwards to unravel the worst moments of our story. Everyone of every faith can get excited about that story. The next verb I want to look at is Paul walked around and looked carefully. It talks about him walking around the city and he looked carefully. He saw these things, these idols, these different temples set up. Paul learned about the city of Athens and the culture and the people. I think we have an artist reconstruction of a, uh, it's a drawing, but like of the ruins that are there and of accounts we have of what Athens looks like. Beautiful. Greco-Roman city, um, a city of philosophers and learning and religion. So he looked around, he got to know the people and the culture, he examined their faith, he understood what they believed and why. Modern Christians often say they are right and the other religions are wrong, but we take no time to examine the other religions and understand them. I think we're so quick to be like, well, I know I got the right answers, I don't need to even worry about understanding what you believe. I grew up in churches that told me, don't examine other religions because you might find out you like it better. You might find out that you, you might be tempted to go over and believe that instead. If Jesus is real, what are we so scared of? If the resurrection is true, what are we so scared of? If other religions are pale shadows of the truth that's in Jesus, what are we afraid of? Won't truth win out? I think sometimes we don't have much confidence in our own faith, and that's why we're scared to let people even look at another faith. Paul found an opening in their faith, though, because he was willing to examine it and find out about it. And in that opening, he found an opening to introduce them to Jesus. Paul found an altar that was in this city. They had all these altars, all these different gods, and they had this one over here, and they were like, just in case we miss some god that we don't know about, we put to the unknown god over here. Just in case there's an extra god that we haven't heard about, we'll put an altar over here for him, too. So Paul found this altar to an unknown God and used it to talk about Jesus. And this is what I think we should do, too. We should find openings in people's religions, not as a way to, like, beat them or condemn them or show them that we're right, to talk about Jesus and what we see him doing in our lives. For instance, there are dozens of verses about Jesus in the Quran. 
you know that? Um, here's one. We might be the only church that's going to quote the Quran today. Um, I'm not going to butcher the name of the passage so that I don't insult my Muslim friends. But this is what the passage says. This is from the Quran. Then in the footsteps of the prophets, we set Jesus, son of Mary, confirming the law revealed before him. And we gave him the gospel containing guidance and light and confirming what was revealed in the law, a guide and a lesson to the God feeling. That's a great starting point to talk to a Muslim friend about. Their own holy book talks about Jesus and says he has the gospel. Like, that's an easy in, right? It, that's an opening to talk about Jesus. I think sometimes if we stop trying to make people stop being Muslim and start being Christian and instead realize that there needs to be a lot more steps before that, instead find ways to talk about Jesus. That's what Paul did. He wasn't like, hey, you need to deny all these other gods, then I can tell you about Jesus. That wasn't his first step in this passage. He's like, let me tell you about a God you do not know. My Jewish friends are fascinated by the Jewishness of Jesus. I told my Jewish friends that Jesus celebrated Hanukkah in John chapter 10, and they were surprised. They had never heard that. They, they had no idea that Jesus did that. No one had ever told them. The reformers attempted to strip Jewish influences from the Christian church, but the Jewishness of Jesus, the Bible, and the disciples is an opening to talk about Jesus. I was talking to some of our Jewish friends about some of the teachings of the New Testament, and um, they said, wow, this sounds very Jewish. I said, all the disciples were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Like, that shouldn't be a surprise, but it is. Buddhists, your Buddhist friends, Buddhists believe that life is suffering. The ultimate goal in Buddhism is to end the cycle of suffering, the cycle of repeated death and rebirth. Well, guess what? Good news. The good news of Jesus' resurrection is the perfect answer to the hope of every good Buddhist. Paul quotes pagan poets here. He knows their sacred writings. He quotes their own literature when looking for opportunities to talk about Jesus. Paul isn't a Christian because his parents were or because it gave him opportunities to advance in culture. He's a Christian because he's been convinced that Jesus is back from the dead, that Jesus is really true, and that Jesus will change your life and by extension through you, the world. That's why he's talking about Jesus. The church has a long tradition of celebrating Jesus revealing himself to people of other faiths. Liturgical churches celebrate Epiphany on January 6th or the first Sunday in January, depending on how your church calendar falls. It celebrates the arrival of the Magi. Despite your nativities at Christmas, the Magi didn't show up with the shepherds, right, and the angels. They showed up about two years later. If you look at the story, uh, Herod's killing children two years and younger, so it's probably Jesus about two years old when the Magi show up. But Epiphany is this Christian traditional church celebration that celebrates King Jesus revealing himself to the Gentiles, people who believed in other gods. The phrase Magi from the East more literally means from the rising sun. It's the only information Matthew provides about the region in which they came. But most scholars think that they came from Persia, Remnants of the kingdoms that grew out of Babylon. So they probably came from Iran, um, the Persian Empire. It, 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 at one point, it stretched from Syria all the way into India. Even though the empire was tolerant of other religions, the dominant religion in Persia was Zoroastrianism. Um, and there was a priestly Magos class. And so most people think that when Matthew says Magi, he's referring to these priestly Zoroastrian monks 
who came from Persia because they looked up in the stars and they saw a star appear that signaled that a king was born. Now, if that's the case, if these were pagan worshipers in Persia who saw a star and, come and came to Israel to worship Jesus, that means that God put a star in the sky because he knew pagans were looking to the stars for salvation. So he wrote about Jesus in a place that they would see. He used their spiritual pursuits to lead them to Jesus. And I think Yahweh's still doing that today. I think Jesus is still placing himself in the path of people who are pursuing other spiritual avenues so that he can help them encounter him. In 2021, there was a standoff at a Texas synagogue. Anybody remember that? There was a man who came into a synagogue and took some people hostages. Um, there was a Baptist pastor down the road who showed up. And he had created a network to bring evangelical pastors, Muslim imams, and Jewish rabbis together. I had known about this guy before the standoff because a pastor I knew in Tennessee left his church to go and work with him. And I was like, wow, that's a weird move. And I started hearing about this organization. Let me just say, I went to a Baptist seminary. Baptists are not known for working with other faiths well. And so I was intrigued by this, and I had read about them. And then this happened, and they kind of hit global news. He went to this standoff, though, because he had all these relationships with Muslims and rabbis, uh, with Jew, Jew, uh, Jewish people. And so he brought in an imam, a Muslim imam, to the police command center and a Jewish rabbi. And he says, hey, we need to all come together to see how we can help in this situation. Because the man in the synagogue taking people hostages was a Muslim. Um, and so he brought these people in, and the Muslim began to pray with the rabbi and the pastor, and several of the law enforcement officers were upset. They were like, oh my gosh, this Muslim is praying here in the midst of us trying to end this hostage situation between this Muslim man and these Jewish worshipers. And here's what the Baptist pastor Bob Roberts said in that situation to the law enforcement officers. You know all of us believe in God. I used to think only God heard my prayers as a Christian, but I discovered in reading the Hebrew scriptures and even the New Testament that God heard the prayers of people who were not necessarily even his followers. From Cornelius in the New Testament to even how the temple was built for Gentiles to come and pray and seek God. And I'd like for all of us to just pray if it would be okay with you. And after that, the law enforcement officer said nothing. And, you know, the Jewish rabbi prayed and the Muslim imam prayed and then him as the evangelical pastor prayed. No one else had any complaints, and ultimately the image of a pastor, a rabbi, and an imam praying together for the, the hostage situation inside a Jewish synagogue went viral, capturing even the attention of the president. Yes, we are all describing a very different God. There are real stark and genuine differences between our faiths, but we all agree that there is more to the world than just matter, that the most important things in life are unseen, that there is someone bigger than all of us working in us and through us. Every faith holds that there is a transcendent element to reality. When you meet someone of a different faith, start with what we have in common, not what we have that separates us. When I meet someone of a different faith, I start by asking questions. People I have found want to hear about my God when we listen to what they have to say about theirs. 
I don't ask simply to have a chance to shove my faith down their throat. I genuinely want to learn about their faith. I want to hear about their beliefs. I believe I can learn how to become a better disciple of Jesus by positioning myself as someone who wants to learn when I encounter practitioners of other faiths. Listening is one of the best ways to love. And Jesus told us to love our neighbors. That means loving your Muslim neighbor by listening to them, loving your Hindu neighbor by listening to them, loving your Jewish neighbor by listening to them, loving your Buddhist neighbor by listening to them. Loving your neighbor means listening to them about their religion and then looking for opportunities to talk about Jesus and gently sharing with them about your own experiences with Jesus. It means partnering with people of other faiths for the common good of the community and befriending them even if they never change their faith. Even if they worship someone else for the rest of their life, you're still to love them and listen to them, to befriend them and serve them. I want to end with another quote from Bob Roberts, that Baptist pastor in Texas who runs this network, Interfaith Network. The love I have for a person has absolutely nothing to do with whether they follow Jesus or not. It has absolutely everything to do with whether or not I follow Jesus. We don't love people because they believe like us. We love people because we believe Jesus told us to love everyone. We must love people of different faiths, not because they're Christian, not because they might become Christian, but because they are humans and reflect the image of God into the world. The Christian church has a long history of using violence to get people to agree with them. They have a long history of using um, like bullying and uh, persuasion and reasoning to try to get people to believe. I think that we, the path forward for Christianity is loving and listening, and that's when people will want to hear about our Jesus. So three suggestions as we end. Befriend someone of a different faith. If you don't have anyone who believes anything differently than you, befriend someone. Befriend someone of a different faith. It's easy to think about other ideologies as ideas and forget that there's people behind them until you know someone. Ask someone of a different faith about their beliefs. One of the best opportunities I have to talk to people about Jesus and what I've seen Jesus do in my life is asking them what they believe and what they've seen through their belief system. Number three, think about what you would say about your faith if given the opportunity. We live in a world where a lot of times we're just like, I'm going to keep my head down and say nothing about my faith because I don't want to be seen as a bully. I don't want to be seen as aggressive people throughout church history. But you should think about, if I have an opportunity to talk about Jesus, what would I say? And I think you should lean on your personal experiences with Jesus, how you have seen him act and speak and work in your life. Talk about why you think his teachings lead to you living a full and fulfilling life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.